Our message today is called The Word of God. The Word of God. I'm going to freely confess to you, it is, by the way, December 14th, 2014. I'm going to freely confess to you that I was out way too late. I preached way too long, and in the last 27 hours, I, I, I think I've been preaching for more than 12 of them. And um, that's okay. That's fun. I love it. I'm excited. It's what we live for, that every day could be so full of glory. Uh, I'm, I'm going to blame 50% of this message on Jesus and the other 50% on Michael Hutchinson. He, he got to preaching Wednesday night uh, about the Word of God is living and active. What was this message Wednesday? Do you remember it? Engagement. How about that? Powerful engagement. And that stirred me up. And then I, I got a chance to go to Glory House. Now, if you've never been to Glory House, they're a little different than us. Um, you're not going to leave until every person's been slain in the Spirit. That's just, that's their thing, okay? And, and don't knock it. It's their thing. They love the Lord like, like very few churches I've ever been around. But when I'm around them, it stirs me up. And I remembered Michael's word, and I wasn't sure what I was going to preach. And so I started with Hebrews 4.12. The word is living and active. And then I got on this, this thing that I just couldn't let go of. I took hold of his book, and his book took hold of me. <laughs> uh, I, got, I got on this theme that, that said from Psalm 18.16, he reached down from on high and took hold of me. See, I, I thought I was lifting him up in my thoughts, but it was really him who was lifting me up. And I began exalting the word of God. Exalting the Word of God above the preacher. Exalting the Word of God above the manifestation. Exalting the Word of God above all. And in the middle of that message was born this one. So uh, that's how we get here. Are y'all y'all ready to be with me? Okay, turn with me to Psalm 119. In Psalm 119, we're going to pray together. We're going to begin our message with a scriptural prayer. Psalm 119, starting in verse 18. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come on, get there if you're not there. If you're not turning in your Bible, if you're waiting on that screen, you are missing out. It's like watching a drag race when you could be driving in a drag race. Do not sit by passively and let church happen to you. This morning, stand up and be the church. Amen? Oh, come on now. Open my eyes that I may see the wonderful things in your law. I want to tell you that there are wonderful things in the word of God. And it's my heart's desire that we see them this morning. One more scripture and then we pray. Flip to the 81st verse of the 119th Psalm. My soul faints with longing for your salvation. But I have put my hope in your word. I want to tell you that this pastor has put his hope in the Word of God. My whole heart's desire is to see the wonderful things in the Word of God. I love the manifestations of the Spirit. I love the things that happen when the Spirit of God is moving. But there is nothing that I love in this world more than the Word of God. In fact, the Spirit combining with the Word is the creative power that makes all happen. Y'all ready to pray? Y'all not going to go to sleep on me, huh? Come on, you rouse yourself. In the name of Jesus, don't make me run laps. I'm old and fat. 
I'm going to give you all I got this morning. And I'm going to ask the same from you. You're going to help me, Jerome? Jerome's going to preach Wednesday night. Let's pray. Mighty God. Lord, we say that we love your word. We exalt your word. Mighty God, we lift up your word in our hearts and minds. And we say, would you use your word to lift us up this morning? To pull us from the slimy pit, mighty God. To set our feet upon the rock. In the name of Jesus, open our eyes to the wonderful things that are in your word. Lord, we love you. And our hope is in your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. And God's people said... Oh, hallelujah. Turn with me to Genesis 15. I love the Word of God. If you don't love it, you will. If uh, if you think that it is just one book among many, the more you read it, the more it will change your mind. Most of you in here love the Word. You say that you love the Word. I want you to love the Word more than you love your TV set. I want you to spend more time in the Word than you spend in your TV set. If you love the Word, then I want you to to love the Word like you love praise and worship. I want you to love the Word like you love your radio. I want you to love the Word like you love other things in your life. When you say you love it, let's not let it be lip service. Let's spend our lives in it. Amen? Amen. So we know that in the creation, God spoke, right? And... uh uh, we know that from the very beginning, it's God's word that changed everything. But the first time the phrase, the word of the Lord, appears in all of the Bible, is 15 chapters into the Bible. What he's been doing behind the scenes, he has not revealed openly to man yet. In other words, what the word of God has been accomplishing could have gone unnoticed until God picked a friend. He picked a friend named Abraham. And in this man's life, we see the revelation of the word of the Lord in a different way than you had ever seen in the 2,000 years before that. Starting in Genesis 15.1, it says, After this, the word of Yahweh came to Abram in a vision. Say, in a vision. Now, I'm speaking to you, and you're perceiving it with your ears. That's auditory learning. What's happening is you're hearing the sounds. That is not how the word of the Lord came to Abraham. The word of the Lord came to him in a vision. This means that he saw something. It means that he perceived not only with his ears, but with his eyes. It was a more full revelation than there had ever been before. The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Do not be afraid. When the word of God comes on the scene, fear runs. When the Word of God comes on the scene, faith is available. Faith is the opposite of fear. And faith will always displace fear or fear will displace faith. But when the Word of God comes... Oh, I'd like you to think about this just for a second. If I tell you something's true, you can get excited about it. But when God Almighty reveals it to you, you know it in a way that nothing can shake When you see it, not just hear it, not just understand it, but when you perceive it with all of your being, that's something that you take your stand on. Amen? You can know that the Word says something in general, but when that Word comes alive and says something to you, it cannot be shaken. I was taught a doctrine about praying a sinner's prayer. 
And I prayed it many times. I was baptized many times. I was baptized in several different churches. I was never born again, but I prayed sinner prayers and I was baptized. And I was told certain things about that. And and while I was being told that, you know, I, I, I believed it. But when the Word of God appeared to me, when the Word of God came real to me, I didn't need a doctrine to tell me I was born again. Suddenly everything about me was different. I was, I was pulled up behind the same set of eyes that had always been there, but I was seeing totally different things. Fear was no longer a part of my life. In fact, faith became a shield for me. And the living God became a very great reward. Somebody say very great. The Word of God appeared to Abraham. And when the Word of God appeared to Abraham, we begin a whole new kind of revelation. The kind of revelation I want you to get this morning. In fact, listen to this promise. But Abram said, Oh, sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, You have given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. Abram saw his limitations, but the Word of God appeared to take him beyond his limitations. The Word of God appeared, and how interesting is it that Abram saw something, and then he received a promise that in his progenitory, in the children that would come from his body and his children's body, we would see the Word of God. Oh man, Jesus is a son of Abraham. The Word of God appeared to him and announced the Word of God's arrival. That's an amazing thing, is it not? Our God has a way of announcing the end from the beginning. He has a way of doing it that goes beyond our inadequacies, beyond our limitations. The Word of God is everything. The only superstar in this building or any other building is the Word of God. Reinhard Bunker may be a fantastic preacher, but the Word of God is the superstar. Benny Hinn might move in all kinds of manifestations, but the Word of God is the superstar. Oh, do you want to exalt the Word this morning? Then the Word of the Lord. This is its second appearance in the Bible. His second appearance. Then the Word of the Lord came to him. This man will not be your heir, but a son coming from your own body will be your heir. The Word announced the arrival of the Word. Oh my goodness, that's like God swearing by Himself. He took him outside and said, look up at the heavens and count the stars if indeed you can count them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. Something's coming from your body. The word of God came and told him something's coming from your body and it'll be heavenly in origins. Oh my goodness. Church, you are capable of heavenly things. But it takes a revelation from the word of God. Verse 6 is probably the most important verse in the Bible. Abram believed Yahweh and he credited it to him as righteousness. When the Word of God appears and you believe the Word, you can become righteous although you are wicked. Oh, that is a miracle beyond miracle. That is grace beyond grace. There is no description for that kind of goodness. Now, it might be important at this point to tell you that many times you could see uh, Elohim spoke, a generic name for God. 
Many times you might see the words of Elohim. Uh, the, the idea being that we're simply speaking of a prophecy, but this is a unique term in the Bible. It's Debar Yahweh. It is the word of Yahweh. When they wanted to translate it into Greek, it became Logos to Theos, the word of God. Who wears that title, saints? Who is the word of God? Turn with me to John 8 in verse 56. In John 8 in verse 56, your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of, what's that word? Seeing my day. Come on, church. Your father Abraham rejoiced at the thought of, at the thought of seeing my day. He saw it and was glad. How did Abraham see the day of Christ? The word of God appeared to him in a vision. The Word of God is the superstar of the book of Genesis. But He's also the superstar of the book of Exodus. And also the superstar of the book of Numbers and Leviticus and Deuteronomy. He's the superstar of the entire book. I want to tell you that there is something more than mystical. Something more than spiritual at work here. When the Word of God shows up, He displaces fear for those who believe in Him. And the result of their belief is righteousness. Amen. Somebody say faith produces righteousness. Oh man. Where you say you have faith and you do not have righteousness, it's because you do not have faith. All of the New Testament makes this clear, but that will be another message. The first and second appearance of the Word of God are in the 15th chapter of Genesis. Debar Yahweh, the word of L-O-R-D in all caps. Do you know where the second appearance is? You could not find a more awkward place. You could not find a place that is more contrary to the first appearance than the second appearance of the word of God. Turn with me to the book of Exodus. When you get to Exodus, get to the ninth chapter. When you find the ninth chapter, pick up with me in the 13th verse. You guys know this already? Am I boring you? You you already know what's coming? Oh, every once in a while, a blind hog finds an acorn. Oh, this is so good. I'd like to just stop and glory in its goodness for a minute. But then I know what I'm going to say and you don't know. (laughs) So I better tell you. In the 13th verse, Then the Lord said to Moses, Get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, This is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, Let my people go so that they may worship me. Or this time I will send the full force. Somebody say full force. And my plagues against you and against your officials and your people. So you may know that there is no one like me in all of the earth. Can we say this is a serious situation? For by now I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you from the earth. It's almost like God is dealing pretty seriously with mankind, is it not? But I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all of the earth. What if the problems that you face 
are really just so that we have a chance to proclaim God's power over those problems? What if the resistance that has come your way is for no other reason than to proclaim God's greatness? You still set yourself against my people. You will not let them go. Oh, man. There's a confrontation happening. A showdown happening. Therefore, at this time tomorrow, I will send the worst hailstorm that has ever fallen on Egypt from the day it was founded till now. Give an order now to bring your livestock and everything you have in the field to, to the place of shelter because the hail will fall on every man and animal that has not been brought in and is still out in the field and they will die. Hear this. Judgment has been pronounced. Judgment has been pronounced on the most powerful nation on the planet. The judgment is going to fall. And look at the mercy of God. He says, you can bring your animals. You can bring your people. You can come inside. This is like Noah speaking outside the ark. Judgment is coming, but you can get in the ark. But the people don't listen. Verse 20. Those officials of Pharaoh who feared Debar Yahweh, the word of the Lord, hurried to bring their slaves and their livestock inside. But those who ignored the word of the Lord, who ignored Debar Yahweh, the one that appeared to Abraham, left their slaves and their livestock in the field. The first time the word of the Lord appears in the Bible... He's showing up to mankind saying, you do not have to be afraid. I will credit you with righteousness. The second time he shows up in the Bible, he says, you should be afraid because you have not listened to me. But even in the message of judgment, in the message of the fear of the Lord, it was mixed with mercy. In the first one in Genesis, we see the appearance of the word of God to make men righteous. In the second appearance of the word of the Lord in Exodus, we see he is there to judge. Oh, church, hear this. This is the seventh plague upon the Egyptians. When they poured out the seventh bowl of wrath in Revelation 16, it was hail. And do you know who ordered it to be poured out? The Word of God. Oh my goodness. The Bible is one repeating pattern over and over and over. It says, I want to make you righteous if you'll trust me. You have no need to fear of me. And then he shows up and says, because you will not trust me, you should at the very least fear me. The Word of the Lord in the first three occurrences in the word, two that are assuring and confirming Abraham. And the third is judgment upon mankind, which raises the question, where is the fourth appearance of the word of God? Does it not? The fourth appearance of the word of the Lord is in Numbers 3. Turn there with me. When you get to Numbers 3, find the 14th verse. Oh no, not enough of you are there. Debar Yahweh is a logos to Theos. This is the title of Jesus the Christ. It's spoken in Hebrew because Jesus was a Hebrew. The word of God appeared. And where he shows up, amazing things happen. He can make you righteous 
or he can bring the judgment of God upon you. It all depends on what you do when he appears. Oh, wow. He's in this room. Numbers 3, starting in verse 14. All I have to do is find it and I'll read it. The Lord said to Moshe in the desert of Sinai, Count the Levites by their families and clans. Count every male a month old or more. So Moses counted them as he was commanded by... As he was commanded by Debar Yahweh. Logos to Theos. As he was commanded by what would become the personage of Jesus the Christ. What could you learn from the fourth appearance of the word of the Lord? He has counted all who are his. I want you to know something. He owned every firstborn Israelite. He owned every one because he spared them from the plague of the firstborn. And he allowed a substitute. He allowed a Levite to be a substitute for the other tribe's firstborn sons. The word of God shows up and counts those who would receive the substitute and become the ownership or property of the Lord. God was so serious about this that the fifth occurrence of the word of the Lord is in the same chapter. Look at verse 44. In verse 44, the Lord also said to Moses, Take the Levites in the place of all of the firstborn of Israel and the livestock of the Levites in the place of their livestock. The Levites are to be mine. I am Yahweh to redeem the 273 firstborn Israelites who exceed the number of the Levites. Collect five shekels for each one according to the sanctuary shekel which weighs 20 geras. Give the money for the redemption of the additional Israelites to Aaron and his sons. So Moses collected the redemption money from those who exceeded the number redeemed by the Levites. From the firstborn of the Israelites, he collected silver weighing 1,365 shekels according to the sanctuary shekel. Moses gave the redemption money to Aaron and his sons as he was commanded by the word of Yahweh. The fifth appearance of the word of Yahweh in all of the Bible The one whom Abraham saw and Jesus said he saw my day and he rejoiced in it. The fifth appearance is when he shows up and says every extra Israelite that there was no redemption for, I want five pieces of silver. Come on, Bible students, what is five in the Bible? Oh, every time he shows up, it is either grace or it is judgment. And the choice is ours. Do you want to be redeemed? Do you want to dwell in the favor of God? Do you want to be lavished with the grace of God and all wisdom and all power and all strength? Or do you have contempt for the word of God? Every time he shows up, a decision has to be made. Every time he shows up, the revelation demands a response. Every time he appears to a human being, it requires the human being to react to what they now No. When you read the Word of God, it is living and active. When you take hold of it, it does take hold of you. It is a revelation that demands a response. 
Which brings us to the sixth occurrence of the word of the Lord. Turn to the book of Deuteronomy. Say there when you were there. Find the fifth chapter. This gets even better. I love that the word of God escalates. I I love that the more you study it, the deeper you go, the deeper its message is. You can be on the surface of things and just get the general understanding and see that the text hints at something deeper. As you read and see what it's hinting at deeper, you compare it with other scriptures and you go, oh my goodness, there is a golden thread, a scarlet thread that goes through the whole text. And eventually you arrive at places of revelation where the scripture jumps off the page to you. In Deuteronomy 5, by the way, wouldn't you think by the time we got five books into the Pentateuch, we would have more than five occurrences of the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord to us is such a common theme because we're this side of the cross. But can you imagine what it was in humanity when the word of the Lord appeared for the very first time to the patriarch Abraham? Oh, it was so earth-shaking that all of the world religions that we're struggling with today still honor the event. They honor Jesus and don't even know that they're honoring Jesus in most cases. Deuteronomy 5 Look at verse 4. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. Where was God? He's in the fire. They say if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. I say just the opposite. Run to the fire. It's where God is. Come on, church. Do you want to be lazy? Do you want to be apathetic? Do you want a safe, cushy life? Do you want a powder puff prophet? Or in the name of Jesus, do you want to be in the fight with the living God? Oh, God is a consuming fire. But those who are inside of Him, just like that burning bush, they don't get burned up. They're just vessels of fire. His servants are ministering flames of fire. The Lord spoke to you face to face out of the fire on the mountain. At that time, I, who is I here? It's Moses, stood between the Lord and you to declare to you. Interestingly enough, some translations say, to show to you, to declare or to show. This is a Hebrew word, nagad. It's uh, number 5046 in your strongs. It means to show, to make known, to reveal. I stood, he said, between Yahweh and you to show, make known, declare to you. What's the next phrase? The word of the Lord. Moses stood on a mountain. He was a mediator between God and the people. And he said he did it to show them something. He did it to show them Debar Yahweh, the word of the Lord, the personage of Jesus Christ. In fact, every major event that you will ever find in the Bible, the word of God is behind it. The word of the Lord. He didn't just declare it. He didn't just speak it. He actually showed them a picture of something that was invisible. Have you ever read Hebrews eleven twenty seven? Why did Moses do the things that he did? It's on your screen now. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered. Why? Because he saw him who is invisible. Let me ask you, what did he see? 
he saw the word of the Lord. He stood on a mountain with God and what he saw in front of his natural eyes was fire. But what he saw with the eyes of the Spirit was the substance of Jesus the Christ. And when he stood between the people and God and he bridged the gap, He was explaining to them, teaching them, declaring to them, making known to them what the Word of God is. Oh, man. Somebody said that's good, Pastor. I think I'm preaching better than you're listening today. This is you, You knew this, I'm sure, right? I love the Word. Every time I read it, I find more of it. If you're not following a part of this, I don't want to run it into the ground. I want to tell you that the linguistics at work here literally take the title of Jesus Christ and insert it into every major event that has to do with grace or judgment that you can find. In the first two, we have Abraham, the friend of God, being credited with righteousness. In the third, we have judgment coming upon Egypt. Do you know why judgment came upon Egypt? Exodus 12, 12 says, I am going to judge the gods of Egypt. Why did the word of the Lord show up in Egypt? To judge the gods of Egypt. Why does the Son of God appear? 1 John 3, 8 says, to destroy the devil's work. The word of the Lord has purpose. It has meaning. He brings grace or He brings judgment. And it's not men that He desires to judge. It is the gods of this fallen world. And only those men who side with those gods fall under judgment. By the time you got to the fourth one in Numbers, He's counting those who are His. By the time you got to the fifth one in Numbers, He's redeeming any who had not been redeemed. By the time you get to the sixth one, He's making Himself known through Moses to an entire nation. Which begs the question, what is the seventh one? I'll let you go find the seventh one. That's not where we're going to go today. I'll give you a hint. It says something to the effect of the word of the Lord was rare in those days. You want to find a strange period in history? You find a period of history where the personage of Jesus Christ was hidden from the people. Strange things happen. We kill our heroes when that happens. We fall under judgment when we could have had grace when that happens. I want to tell you that the superstar of the Bible is the Word of the Lord. It's none other than Jesus Christ. Turn with me to 2 Samuel 22. We're going to cover just a couple of my favorites because we can before I show you what I'm hoping to show you. Amen. A couple of you still awake. A couple of you still with me. In 2 Samuel, which is hiding. There we go. 2 Samuel 22. David is speaking. But he's speaking about something very special. Look at verse 31. As for God. Somebody say God. This word in Hebrew is Elohim. As for Elohim, His way is perfect. Debar Yahweh is flawless. God is perfect and Jesus Christ is flawless. He, He, 
Get this, personal pronoun for the word of God, not it. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. What did he tell Abraham? Debar Yahweh showed up and said, don't be afraid. I am your shield. I want to tell you that Debar Yahweh, the word of the Lord, is a he. He is an I, a personage of God. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. For who is God besides the Lord? And who is the rock except our God? It is God who arms me with strength and makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to stand on the heights. He trains my hands for battle. My arms can bend a bow of bronze. The word of the Lord trains those who receive the word of the Lord because he shows up either to give men grace or to judge the false gods on the battlefield. Oh, church, tell me, have we had an appearance of the word of the Lord? Oh, yes, we had a first coming of Jesus Christ and it was for grace and mercy. By the time we get to the last revelation of Jesus Christ contained in the canon of the Scripture, He is showing up to judge the false gods of humanity. The Word of the Lord is consistent in His character, if no other thing. Every time He shows up, it's for one of two purposes. In 2 Kings 3.12, you don't have to turn there. It says that the Word... Of Yahweh, Debar Yahweh was with Elijah. How many of you think Elijah was a great man of God? It's because the personage of Jesus Christ was with him. The substance that was inside of Jesus was with Elijah. What made Elijah great? The word of the Lord. He's the superstar. There are no great men of God. There are those who are with the greatness of God's Word. He's not for a man. He's for the men who are with Him. You remember when the angelic captain, the captain of the Lord's host, shows up and speaks to Joshua. Joshua says, are you for me? Are you for my enemy? He says, neither. The Word of God is a person. He's a he. He shows up in the scripture as, I am your shield. And he has a will of his own. We do not get the right to tell him what he should think. When we pick up his will, great things happen. Elijah did twice as many miracles as Elijah. Elisha is one of those men that you can just marvel at But the power at work with him is that the word of Yahweh was with him. Look at Psalm 33, verses 4 through 6. In Psalm 33, you hear that the word of the Lord, this is the personage of Jesus, is right and true. Look at the personal pronoun here. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of His unfailing love. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, their starry host and the breath of His mouth. Have you ever wondered how it is that John 1.1 was written? How did He know to write what He wrote? He saw Jesus as the word of Yahweh. 
And the Psalms declare that it's by the word of Yahweh that the heavens were made. This is how John can say in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Where did their revelation come from? They looked into the Tanakh. They looked into the mighty word of the Lord. And they saw the character and personage of Jesus the Christ. How sad is it that those who are in love with Jesus in what they call the new dispensation of grace to the right of the cross on the timeline have trouble looking back at the very same word and seeing Jesus at all. They see a segmentation, a division between the old and the new. Oh, church, the word of the Lord remains unchanged forever. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There is a continuity in the word. Isaiah spoke about Jesus. He spoke about the word of Yahweh. He did it eight times. Jeremiah was so fascinated with the word of Yahweh, he used the phrase 50 times. Ezekiel, not wanting to be outdone by the other prophets, used it 57 times. They preached in the law, the writings, and the prophets about Jesus the Christ. Have you ever wondered how Jesus could expound on the scriptures and tell them all the scriptures from Moses forward speak of me? Oh, this is how. He's the King of kings, the Lord of lords, and He reigns supreme in the Word of God. Oh, that the Lord would open our eyes to see the wonderful things. This is not a New Testament revelation. The New Testament is the icing on the cake. It's the unveiling so that even those that don't have eyes to see can see. Except they didn't. See, every once in a while, we've seen mighty men like Samson who needed to remove their eyes so that they could see. Oh, let he who has eyes see this morning. Turn with me to the Gospel of John. Say there when you were there. We've quoted the first verse, but the Word of God is good enough to read again and again and again. In the beginning was the... Whose word was it? It's the word of the Lord. It's Debar Yahweh. When you want to say it in Greek, it's Logos to Theos. It is the title of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in... He was with God in the beginning. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made that has been made. How could he have known this? We say, oh, he got it by revelation. He got it by revelation in the Word about the Word. Oh, church, I need you to understand. I need you to appreciate and to love like I love. Don't, 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 don't look at the flaws of the messenger. I'll never be able to express it like he can. You need Him to tell you personally. But when you get the concept that all of the Word is Jesus, you will never again be able to look at part of the Word and go, oh, that was then. You'll never again be able to disregard any part of the Word. Instead, with fear and trembling, you will work out your salvation. You will wrestle with the commandment to a Jew not to cut the side of his his hair. 
You wrestle with the fence that has to be built around the top of a roof because it is all Jesus. Shame on us for having segmented his word into important and not important. You know, when Jesus described the law and summed it up as Mark 12, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second command is this, love your neighbor as yourself. He was not setting aside everything that was written previously. He was explaining the point. Understanding the point does not make every other detail irrelevant. Do you love the Word of God? Do you love just the man Jesus that you're seeing or do you love what made him who he is? Do you love the substance of Jesus? I love that he showed up to Abraham. I love that it made Abraham the father of us to this day. I love that he showed up to judge the gods of the Egyptians, all ten. And what a thorough job he did. I love that he redeemed his people. Oh, if you could take hold of the word, the word would take hold of you. When you draw near to God, what does God do? Look at John 1 and verse 14. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Consider this, reading it for the first time. Take yourself back to the illusion of the very first time. The men who are reading this, what Bible did they have in their hands? When Paul writes to Timothy, and he says, all Scripture is God-breathed, what Scripture is he speaking about? Oh, wow. The 39 books of the Older Testament, they're studying them. They're pouring over them. Men like Apollos were finding life in them. Men like David got the point. Men like Hosea got the point. Men like Micah got the point. Men like David prophesied after getting the point. And even the words of his prophecy are Jesus Christ. You look in that word. And you go, he appeared. He appeared to Abraham, but I don't know what he looked like. It doesn't say. I I mean, was he a man? Was he a flaming fire? What was he? You you understand that Moses showed the people the word of the Lord that he taught him. You say, but but what was he like? What did he look like? We know that Moses saw something and Moses was showing us something, but what we see is Moses. And now you're reading the account of a man who says. That became flesh. And we touched him. (laughs) We touched him. We beheld him with our hands. We were there. We're writing to you what he did. What was intangible and imperceivable except to a select few has been made known to us. Oh man, he writes in John 1.18, no one has ever seen God at any time. Apparently saw the Word of God. No one has ever seen God at any time, but the one and only who is at His side has made Him 
known. Oh my goodness. In Jesus Christ, for the first time, we got to see the power that was at work in creation in the flesh. We got to see the power that delivered the people out of Egypt and judged their gods in the flesh. We got to see the one who numbered his own and paid a price of redemption for his own in the flesh. For the first time, you got to see what the Word of God is actually like. It's interesting then that the first chapters of the Gospels all contain things that would be shocking to the original audience. And we're so far past the writing of the New Testament that it's often not so shocking to us. We, we treat it like it's common knowledge. But what if you had waited for 4,000 years for the revelation? How excited would you be when it came? Turn with me to the first chapter of Matthew. In the first chapter of Matthew, such a simple statement. And yet, what a powerful thing. In Jesus, we find out what God is like. In Jesus, we find out how to know God, how to relate to God, how He relates to us. Is He showing up to credit us with righteousness or is He showing up to kill our firstborn sons? What is God like? This is the fundamental question between Christianity and Islam. What is God like? Is He the kind that lies? The kind that His prophets molest children? Is He the kind that advocates the cutting off of heads? Is He the kind that is moved by carnal eternities? Or is He something else? What is God like? We don't get any further than the first chapter of the book of Matthew, which incidentally is also the Word of God. And when we reach Matthew, the first chapter and 21st verse, she will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Allah doesn't save his people from their sins. But the word of Yahweh came as a human being to save his people from their sins. He appeared to Abraham and said, Oh, you're going to have offspring that's heavenly because I I'm going to be one of your offspring. Oh my goodness! Somebody say that's good! Even if you don't understand it, pretend like you do until you get it! He said, Abraham, your offspring's gonna be amazing! Oh, what was Mary pregnant with? She was pregnant with the Word of God. Oh, when the Holy Spirit overshadowed her, the Word of God was at work within her. And what was birthed was the man Jesus who was the Word of God. Oh man, He had been there since the beginning, but He only made Himself known at certain times in history. When Joseph... Uh, no, no, verse 23 is worth hearing. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. They will call Him God with us. How is He God? He is Debar Yahweh. Logos to Theos. He is the one that appeared to Abraham. He's the one that judged the Egyptian gods. He is flawless. He is perfect. He is righteous. He trains our hands for battle. He is Jesus the Christ. 
What an astounding statement. If you get to the first chapter of Mark, imagine that you're hearing this for the first time. What is God like? The point of Moses being on the mountain between the man and God was to show them the Word of God, to show them Jesus Christ. The law leads to Jesus Christ. Jesus is the substance of the law. The law is not bad. It's not wrong. It's the righteous standard of God. It is spiritual and you are unspiritual. Because of that, people in the first century had read the law and the law clearly said that when somebody has an infectious skin disease, quarantine them. (laughs) Wisdom, yeah? You don't think it's wisdom? I got this rash on my elbow. Can I come rub it on your face? Wisdom. By the first century, if you had leprosy, just so that you didn't bump against somebody, they put bells on your garments. We want to hear you coming. No leprous ninja sneaking up on us and rubbing their elbows on our faces. Today, today, Leprosy is almost eradicated in the United States. But in a place called Carville, Louisiana, thank you, Louisiana, there is a colony of lepers. Yeah. I got a ticket there one time. I had a friend who knew the judge who arbitrated between us, and the ticket was absolved. It's good to have a friend who knows the judge, who lays his hand upon the judge and lays his hands upon you and removes his rod of wrath from you. Job cried out for it. I cried out for it. And we both received it. In this leper colony, understand that even today, these infectious skin diseases are so abhorrent that it has forced segregation. We would normally think that is a terrible word and a terrible thing. But for some reason... Lepers do not live among us. This is one of those moments you get sad when you see a dog on TV that they're raising money for because it's got flies on it. But as long as we don't have to see those human beings, I mean, it's okay. Put them in Carville, Louisiana. Put them somewhere, anywhere. The question in the first century was God said segregate them. So what does that mean? What, What does that mean? Is there any hope For a leper, we don't get past the first chapter of Mark and we're learning what the word of the Lord is like. Are you in the first chapter? Look at verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. If you are willing. Say, if you are willing. Have you ever wondered? I know God can do anything. How many of you said that? I know God can do anything. Okay, the rest of you without your hands up are sleeping or lying because I know you've said it. I know God can do anything. That's never been the question, has it? The question is, will He do it? Is that not the question? Is He willing to help me? Isn't that the question? It was the question then. And they had read about the Word of the Lord. They had seen the Word of the Lord, but they didn't really know what He was like. How do you translate what we've read into the way that a person would act? If you are willing, the leper says, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion. 
You know the most offensive thing to me about looking at the 39 books of the Old Testament and saying it's all about wrath and judgment is you've missed all the mercy in it. You've missed all the compassion in it. Jesus Christ is the walking Torah. And Jesus was filled with compassion. Filled with compassion. So let me ask you, is the book of Leviticus filled with compassion? Yes, because it is the substance of Jesus. Is the book of Exodus filled with compassion? Yes. The book of Genesis? Yes. They're all filled with compassion. If you have believed otherwise, you have believed a lie and diminished the superstar that is the Word of God. Filled with compassion. Jesus reached out His hand and touched the man. Listen to the Word of God speak. I am willing. What a revelation. What a revelation. The word of the Lord that appeared to Abraham is now a human being standing in front of me. And is he willing to help me? Matthew in the first chapter says, yes, he'll be the Savior. He'll be God walking with you. Yes, but is he willing to help me? Mark in the first chapter says, I am willing. Somebody say that's good news. In fact, they understood it was such good news. Do you know what they named these books? The Good News. When we say gospel, we're saying it's good news. The angels announced it from heaven in Luke. They said, we're bringing you good news of great joy. Oh, man. Moving on from Mark, let's turn to Luke. Pick up with me in Luke, the fourth chapter. In the fourth chapter of Luke, we see a really unusual event. Luke wanted you to understand something. The word of the Lord has appeared. He's flesh and he's here. And listen to what he says in his own hometown. Luke 4:18, quoting Isaiah 61. The spirit of Yahweh is on me. What is he? What is Jesus? He's the word of the Lord. And what is he saying is on him? Oh man, he's got the power to create. When you see the spirit of God and the word of God, what should that remind you of? It should remind you of Genesis, the first chapter. What was the spirit of God and the word of God hovering over? And darkness, judgment and darkness. But life came out of it. What might they be trying to tell you? When the word of Yahweh becomes flesh and the spirit of Yahweh is on him, creative miracles turning what was darkness and judgment into a whole new creation are possible. How does he do it? Where does he start? Good news to the poor. Good news to those who need freedom, who are prisoners. Good news for those who are blind. Good news for the oppressed. Good news for all who are oppressed. Maybe this is why John had said in the 12th verse of the first chapter, as many as believed on Him, what did He give the right to become? Because when the Spirit of God and the Word of God have arrived on the scene, we can have a whole new creation. That's how we got here in the first place. What is the Word of the Lord like? He's full of mercy and compassion. He wants to say of all men, He's God with us. He's willing. 
even if we're leprous, to clean us. But more than that, He's willing to turn you into something altogether different than what you were. He's willing to fundamentally reshape your universe. How could you not love the Word of God? How deep is your darkness? How deep are the floodwaters of judgment? Because when I took hold of the Word of God, He took hold of me and He pulled me out of those depths. He set my feet upon the rock that is His Word. He put a new song in my heart. And now many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. This is the 40th Psalm. It is Jesus Christ. Oh, man, do I love Him. In the last thing, the very last of the revelation that God would give in written form about what is His substance, in the 19th chapter, He says this. It's Revelation 19, starting in verse 11. Say there when you were there. Revelation 19:11 I saw heaven standing open and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called faithful and true with justice he judges and makes war his eyes are like blazing fire and on his head are many crowns he has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood. And His name is the Word of God. Logos to Theos. He is the one who appeared to Abraham. He is the one that Moses saw that was invisible, who judged the Egyptian gods, but saved those who were covered under the blood of a lamb. He's the one that counted all of His people and paid a price for the unredeemed. He's the one that Moses was imitating who stood between God and the people and instructed them about the Word of God. He's the flawless one, the perfect one. He's the Savior of the book of Matthew. In Luke, He's the source of the good news. The one on whom the Spirit rests and He can create new things. In the book of Mark, He's willing. In the book of John, He's the one who gives you the right to become what He is. The Word of God must shape your life. The Word of God must control your destiny. The Word of God is paramount. It is the climax. It is the pinnacle. It is all. It is supreme. The Word is more than sufficient, more than necessary. The Word is everything, and without the Word, there is nothing. Imagine that God had never said, what would there be? In the beginning, the Lord created the heavens and the earth. How did He do it? By His Word. If you have not the Word, you have nothing. I'm as charismatic and as Pentecostal as they come. But the Spirit hovers over the Word to create new things. Without the Word, there is nothing. Oh, if you exalt the Word, the Word will exalt you. 
He will reach down from on high. He will take hold of you and He will bring you to new heights. The higher you lift Him, the higher He lifts you. So much so that Ephesians 2 says we are seated with Christ in the heavenly realms. How high has He raised us? As high as you will raise Him. Verse 14 is worth hearing. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. What is the sharp sword? The word is coming out of the word. The word incarnate, the word in the flesh, the word glorified produces more word. Oh my goodness. When you believe on him, when His Word controls your life, you produce more Word. I'm not being weird or mystical about it. I'm simply saying the Bible calls you a living epistle. A letter written from God. A commendation of those who have gone before you and carried that Word. You take on His nature. You participate in His divine substance. Oh, how important is that Word. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads out the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty on His robe and on His thigh. He has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. I love the Word of God. Do you love Him? Do you want Him to take all in your life? Do you love every part of the Word of God or do you just love the parts you have been taught to love? Oh, the whole world loves John 3.16 and they don't much like John 3.17. The whole world loves judge not lest you be judged, but they don't love the book of Revelation. I want to encourage you to embrace the whole counsel of the Word of God. The Word of God appeared to men and He is our hope. But for as many as believed on Him, He made us like Him. Our last scripture for you today. In a message about the word of God that still stands supreme. Comes from 1 Peter. If you will be so kind as to turn with me to 1 Peter. In 1 Peter, the first chapter. It's amazing how these men who are writing can't get a chapter into their letters without exalting the word of God. When they wrote, they were writing Jesus. When they prophesied, they were prophesying Jesus. They had been with Him enough to have become like Him. They recognized His substance. And when they wrote, God was breathing through them onto the paper, producing more and more of the Word. The Word is our hope. And when that Word appears to you, you become unshakable. How could we neglect the Word? It's where we put our hope. Oh God, open my eyes to see the wonderful things in your law. In 1 Peter, the first chapter, 22nd verse. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth. Say obeying. You do not purify yourself by knowing the truth. You purify yourself by obeying the truth. Coming to church is not a service to God. It's a service to you to teach you to serve God. You are doing nothing for God by attending church. 
Church is where you come to learn to serve God. I want to tell you that you have to move beyond church attendance. You have to move beyond intellectual acceptance. We have to obey the truth that is the substance of God. He's willing. Are you willing? Purified yourselves by obeying the truth so that you have a sincere love for your brothers. When you obey the truth, where does it show up? In how you treat each other. A love for God is manifest by loving your neighbor. Jesus said it. Moses said it. Because it is the word of the Lord. When you're wrong with everyone else, you're probably not right with God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said in the midst of the rise of a satanic power, he warned the church, when we build walls between us and our neighbor, we build ceilings between us and God. Oh, if we get right with God, he will put every other relationship in its right order. If you're in here today praying for family members that you're estranged from, trust me, I feel your pain. If you put the Word of God in His rightful place as the supreme in your life, He will put every other relationship in its rightful place. Those that love Him will eventually love you. And those that hate Him will most certainly hate you. So that you have a sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply and from the heart. Does that sound like church attendance or does that sound like family? Does that sound like we simply show up and nod and say amen every now and then? Or do we deeply love each other? For you have been born again. You know, that phrase is so common in evangelical Christianity, but it only shows up a few times in the Bible. You have been born from above. You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. The same thing that appeared to Abraham has now appeared to you and he is lovely. He is righteous. And when you are born again, you are born of His substance. And you prove it by carrying out His actions and dwelling on His Word and being moved by His Spirit. The Word of God is everything. Oh, church, if we examine Christianity, we find it word light. We can quilt the 23rd Psalm. We can make a banner of John 3.16. But can we say that we love the Lord? Can we say that we love His Word? You can memorize a song. Have you memorized this Word? Have you hidden it in your heart? Let me ask you very personally. What does your relationship with this book say about your love for God? Does it say that you take Him for granted? Are you like a spouse that stood at an altar and made a vow but would rather hunt than spend time with your spouse? Rather watch football than talk to your spouse? 
do you neglect the Word of God? Because He is everything. And anything worth having in this world will come from the enduring Word of God. For all men are like grass and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the Word of the Lord stands forever and that is the Word that was preached to you. The same thing that appeared to Abraham is now making himself known to you. How you treat him is how you feel about him. We're going to worship. You could take from a message like this, oh my goodness, if I don't memorize every line, pastor's condemning me. Oh, that's not my heart. I can't remember scripture half of the day. When I preach, it comes. The rest of the time, I I can't find the books of the Bible. But oh, under the anointing, the Spirit of God will help you relate to the Word of God. Trying to relate to the Word outside the Spirit, like trying to relate to a dead creation. It just won't work. Let us invite the Spirit of God to come and illuminate the Word of God. A man can tell you what you should do, but if God tells you what you should do, it can't be shaken. A man can tell you how to be saved, but when the Word of God tells you that you are saved, (laughs) it doesn't matter what men say anymore. Oh, that we could have a creative miracle today. The Word and the Spirit don't just team up to make you born again. The Word and the Spirit team up to empower you to live every day in a new way. So let me ask you, what is the Word speaking to you? What has the Word of God said to you this week? Has it said as much as Fox News? The world can tell you we need to concentrate on Ferguson. We need to concentrate on Eric Garner. We need to concentrate. But that's not the Word of God. What's going to define your life? If the Word defines your life, then it must speak to you. It is living and active. For Him to take hold of you, you usually have to take hold of His book. You have to, as Pastor Hutchinson has said, engage Him and then He will engage you. Could you stand to your feet?